0: Okay, good morning again. I was, uh, I remarked to Janice when we were doing uh, our little meeting greet, Uh, I love how carried away we get. I think church needs to be like that more often. You know, the the raucousness of having to call people back together so we can pray. I love that because uh, that's what church was when Jesus was around. They got accused of being a bunch of rowdy rebels all the time, and I love that. So I love seeing people smiling and greeting one another. What a beautiful thing. I'm going to start with an, a quick announcement that I completely forgot. Uh, tonight at se- six thirty, I was almost tonight at six thirty. Uh, the uh, it's Faith Orphans is coming, yes. and there will be prayer and et cetera as well. Ask Fred. Ask Fred. Ask Fred. But tonight at 6.30, our, uh, our, our, our uh, once-a-month Sunday night gathering is happening. So if you want more details, ask Fred. But face Orphans is coming, and I know they're here to share. And I don't have all the rest of the details. It is in the back of your bulletin. It kind of got thrown in the backside. I just wanted to make sure we highlighted that. Uh, if you looked in your bulletin, you saw the title of my sermon. And uh, I didn't put it on the church sign. I admittedly, I kind of forgot, but I kind of also waited. Uh, because the title of the sermon is that Missions Isn't a Thing... And I thought if I put that on the front of the, uh, the church, we might have some other churches showing up with pitchforks in their hands. Uh, and, and I made it that title on purpose to inspire some thought and some thought-provoking, uh, even perhaps anger if you'd like. That's excellent. Uh, and I'm going to start with a very bold statement. Uh, and it's okay if you don't like the statement because I didn't make it up, so you can't get mad at me. Uh, it's from someone who's much smarter, much more educated, much wiser, uh, a better theologian, uh, older, uh, so you can get mad at this person. Uh, the statement is that every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. And that's a bold statement. I said that at the, uh, the gathering of the youth pastors that I get together with. We pray together every other week, and, and we plan, and we support one another, and I said I'm being invited to speak uh, At their gathering and they said, what are you going to speak on? And I said, missions. And I'm going to preach on something that I'm preaching on this week at my church. And I said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. And I thought these youth pastors were going to just tell me, "Mm, we don't want you to speak anymore. Because that's heavy. And if you let that sink in, that's a very, uh, that denotes a response from us. Now it's a quote from someone perhaps you've heard of. Uh, Their name is uh, Charles Spurgeon very heavy theologian. If you've ever tried to read Spurgeon, it is dry and very hard to read, but it is some of the most beautiful writings if you can get through it. Uh, under Spurgeon, thousands and thousands of people uh, came to Christ under his preaching and his ministry. He's, uh, he's accredited with leading the very first uh, mega church uh, in England, he, that, that credit goes to him, and they would have called his church the first megachurch. Uh, it's estimated that over the course of his life, he preached to over 10 million different people, because he was such a great preacher and a great theologian, and he made the gospel easy to understand. So if he was so great, why would he say something so controversial? Why would he say something so bold, so heavy, so convicting? Is, is he saying for, to, to, be, to be a real Christian, to be a, a real Christian, uh, you need to pack up all your bags? You need to sell all the rest of your stuff that doesn't fit in bags, and you need to buy a plane ticket to somewhere, let's say, Africa. You need to go to somewhere in Africa where all the missionaries go. Uh, You need to go there, and you need to build some schools or some wells. And if you don't do that, you're not a Christian. Is that what Spurgeon is saying? Because that's what we think of when we think of a missionary, don't we? I grew up in church, and uh, I went to church pretty much every week. And every once in a while we had the missionaries come. The missionary was visiting. Uh, We had three families that our church sponsored. Uh, They would show up once every few months. One of the missionary families would come home and and share their stories. And they all seemed really nice, albeit a little bit weird. They had a little bit of a weirdness to them. Uh, their, Their dress, what they wore, was usually out of touch with current culture because they were living on the other side of the world somewhere. Uh, they would show their slideshows that looked about the same as the slideshows I was making in grade 3. Just very basic slideshows. They would show that, generally just a blue screen with some photos of them in other countries and all the great things they were doing. Because missionaries go overseas, that's what missionaries are supposed to do, isn't it? We, we go to places like Africa or, or Bolivia or China, uh, we stay maybe South America, we go somewhere where, where Western world isn't, we go there. And the missionaries are paid to stay there, and the missionaries do their work there, and that's a missionary. Basically, when I was growing up, I thought the rest of us were a bunch of losers, uh, working normal jobs here at home. Uh, But it made us feel good when the missionaries come home, uh, because when the missionaries would come home, we'd do the love offering, and they'd pass around that offering plate, and we'd put that crisp $20 bill in and be like, yeah, I did some missions today. We could pat ourselves on the back, thinking like, yep, I've done my missions work for the month. Um, that's what we think of sometimes when we think of the word missionary. Uh, my father is the other side. Perhaps you don't think of missionaries when you think of that. You think of something more, uh, more cynical. Perhaps you're a little bit more cynical when you hear the word missionary. Uh, and you think of something more like this video I'm going to show.
1: Hi guys. Quinn and Kylie here. We are so excited to announce our next trip.
2: It's a mission trip.
1: Our next mission trip. We are going to serve humbly the scuba instructors here in Aruba. We
2: are so honored.
1: So honored. A lot of you guys have asked, why Aruba?
2: Yeah, we actually came here on our honeymoon. Yeah, and
1: we were out on the pier having the sunset dinner. I was about to pick up the lobster and dip it in the butter. and We so just good. looked at each other. and We just felt like God had called us for, for such a time as this. as this.
2: We've had so many God moments you while being here. You not believe. The cabana boys. Oh,
1: the golf caddy. Yeah,
2: the parasail guys. I had a
1: heart-to-heart conversation with the guy I rent the jet skis from. Oh,
2: babe, I want to hear about mm-hmm. that.
1: So good. When in when moments like that, we just know that we're here for a purpose. Yeah, for but sure. We can relate to missionaries all over the world when we say it hasn't been without its share of persecution. Yes.
2: Yeah, like last week we were prepping to do this scuba dive yes. and I was wearing my cross necklace like tell I him, always do. Tell them
1: what the instructor said to you.
2: And the instructor looked me dead in the eyes and said, ma'am, you need to take that necklace off. Take it off. And I said, I will not. I will stand for what I believe in. Get
1: behind me, Satan.
2: Right. but come to find out the necklace actually would block the airflow of the mask so I had to take it off it
1: makes it, he was helping you but yeah. at the time we did feel
2: I felt attacked
1: persecuted honestly I feel like a lot of what we're doing down here babe is planting seeds we yeah. haven't seen much harvest but we know that the lord is at work it's
2: kind of like we're a living version of footprints in the sand
1: except two sets of footprints had turned into zero that's where we lay down to We sunbathing. sunbathing,
2: yeah. Like the other day, I was shopping for some supporter gifts for all of you. So good. I was looking at these keychains made by real orphans, and I was about to have a moment with the cashier, with the cashier lady. cashier,
1: and you were going to witness to her.
2: I was going to witness to her, but we had dinner reservations. Yeah, it was so.
1: not the right time. But God's timing. Back. Wherever we go, in the shops, at the car dealership, we wear The WWJD bracelets. I
2: actually lost mine.
1: Anyway, we just want to ask that you would partner with us and invest with us here in Aruba long term.
2: Long term, but really for only three months because after that it's rainy season and my hair gets frizzy, so.
1: Okay, we feel like maybe after the three months God is maybe gonna transition us out of Aruba. Don't spoil it. And we're gonna be witnessing to the wine connoisseurs and vineyard (laughs) owners of Tuscany. But
2: that's another video (laughs) and another outfit. I haven't even finished my Pinterest board. We
1: need to be here and now. I talked with our All we need is $10,000 a month.
2: Basically what we're uh, saying is that we want to ask you for prayer.
1: Well, pray that God would ask you to give us your money. Mm -hmm. It's so easy to give. We just ask if you think about us in prayer, after you've given, just ask that we would daily pick up our cross. Yeah. Oh, room service. You know what I'm saying? Just, it's No, not- I
2: said extra caviar! No, fix that! Where's the Prosecco? What am I supposed to drink? Cut this part. No, get out!
0: So perhaps when you think of missionaries, uh, you're a little more cynical and you think of people like that. Uh, going on vacations to wonderfully exotic places like Aruba or Tuscany, uh, I would love if God called me to go to Aruba to witness to the scuba divers. Um, But for many of us, if I say the word missions or missionary, that's what we think of. We either think of this uh, person who has been called to live on the other side of the world, perhaps a little bit weird, some exotic country giving everything up, or we think of this vacationing missionary. But for Spurgeon and for many other theologians of his time, To be a missionary and to be a Christian are one and the same. They're the exact same thing. To be a Christian means that you live as a missionary 100% of the time that you're alive. It means whether you live here in Cambridge and Kitchener, Waterloo, or whether you said somewhere like Bolivia or Bulgaria or somewhere else across the world, you live your life the same in either place. To be a missionary and to be a Christian were the same for these great theologians because they believe that we are all missionaries. They believe that we are all called to live our lives on mission 100% of the time. If you look at the scriptures, Jesus was a missionary. Uh, At least 39 times in just the Gospel of John, he refers to himself as being sent. He says, I'm sent. He left heaven. He left his family. He left the culture that he knew that he was born and raised in to come to earth and to come and save you and to come and save me. And it doesn't just stop with Jesus calling himself a missionary or saying that he was sent. He says that we are also sent, he says every single person is sent. You'd expect a sermon about missions to be preached from one of the more famous uh, sections of Scripture, perhaps uh, at the very end of the Gospels, the Great Commission, right? Perhaps something about the Great Commission on how we are to go out into the world and and to baptize and to teach and obey. uh, And that would make a great sermon, absolutely. That would be a great passage to preach upon. And I've preached on that before, but today I picked something much simpler, much easier to understand must less prone to confusion uh, or contextualization. A section of scripture that we are less likely to say, well, that doesn't apply to me, that only applies to those. A section of scripture that we can say applies to every single person. I'm going to use a verse that makes it clear that Jesus is speaking to you and to me. And it's one verse. It's John 17, verse 18. And it says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And he's speaking about all of us. To be a Christian, therefore, means to be sent. It means you are sent. There's no such thing as an unsent Christian. We are all sent. This verse sums it up so easily to understand, so nicely. Jesus says, I'm sent, and and if I'm sent, likewise, you are sent. That's how it works. He tells us that's how. And we're going to t- discuss today the who, the what, the where, and the why. It is so important to remember that we are all sent, and there is no such thing as not being sent, if you call yourself a Christian. So we'll talk with the, the what. The what is our mission field. So if, if we believe that we are all sent, uh, if we are all called to be missionaries all the time, to live our lives on mission 100% of the time, that's awesome, that's great, that's exciting. But where? Where? What's our mission field? Am I asking everyone here to pack up everything they own, sell all their things, and buy a tiny house or, or buy an RV that you can travel around? Or am I asking us, if we're all missionaries, to actually get on a plane and all of you go somewhere else and we'll sell the church, go somewhere else and we'll be a missionary? Well, not exactly. But I am saying that if at any point in your life you feel called to sell all your things and move somewhere else, do it. Give it all up and go. Absolutely go for that. What I'm saying, though, is that for the most part, that's not where we are all called to go. So what is your mission field, then, if it's not to go overseas or not to go somewhere else exotic? Well, We each have a different and unique mission field. Uh, some of us, I'm going to say sometimes, we are very blind. Myself, I'm a very blind person. Sometimes I'll pray for things for months, and it's right in front of my face, and I don't see it. And sometimes that's what our mission field is like. Sometimes our mission field is right in front of our faces, and we're clueless. We just don't see it. We live like, a, there's a story that my dad used to tell me, uh, sorry, my grandfather used to tell me, uh, of an, an old lady whose town was flooding. So her town is flooding, and the government has said, you all need to leave, town's flooding. The waters are coming in, and so people start packing up. Uh, but this little old lady, she prays. She says, uh, no, you know, God, you saved me. And uh, So she prays and she stays there and there's a knock at the door and her neighbor says look. I'm leaving I've got a big SUV a big uh, a big Hummer or a Land Rover He says I've got all kinds of room and uh, we can get out of here together So get your things and let's get in the SUV and go and she says no 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 the Lord will save me. It's okay And so the neighbor leaves and the flood keeps coming So she actually has to go out of her main floor and go to her second floor of her house Uh, and she gets to the second floor and her other neighbor comes by, and he's canoeing. He paddles over, and he sees her at the window. And he paddles, and he says, he says, come on, I've got room in my canoe. I can, I can move some of my stuff. Get in the canoe. We can get out of here. Uh, and she says, no, no, no. The Lord will save me. And so the waters keep coming, and she gets forced to go up into her attic. So she gets in her attic, and uh, she's hiding in her attic. And, and as she's there, a neighbor across the street comes ripping by on his speedboat, a big old powerboat. And he says, get in. We've got to get out of here. The floods are so high. And again, the little old lady says, no, no, the Lord will save me. And finally, she's forced onto the roof, and she's sitting on the peak of her roof. Water is all around her, everywhere, and a news chopper that's covering it flying by, and it sees this little old lady on the roof of her house. And so they throw a rope down, and they said, hold on, climb up. We can can take you away from here. We can get out of here. And she says, no, the Lord will save me. And the waters keep coming, and she drowns. And she gets to heaven and she sees God and she says, "Uh, God, I prayed for you to save me. Why didn't you save me? And he says, I tried four separate times. And sometimes we're like that, aren't we? Sometimes we are praying and praying, saying, God, send me. I will go who and where. Where should you go or where should I go? Where are you sending me? What is my mission field? And he's saying it so loudly, but we're so blind we don't see it. And So I'll help because this is a very easy question to understand and to answer. Uh, I'm gonna rephrase it for you And I'm gonna say people where do you spend the majority of your time? Where do you spend your days? Where do you spend your evenings? Where do you spend your weekends or your holidays? The answer is different for all of us some of us have nine to five jobs some of us are active in the community centers Uh, Some of us are volunteers. Some of us are retired, and so we hang out with their friends. Some of us have cottages or trailers that we spend the entire summer at. Perhaps you spend your evenings at soccer for your kids or your grandkids. Or perhaps it's at dance classes or gymnastics. Perhaps you just love cafes, and you spend a lot of time at cafes. Perhaps you're like my wife, uh, and you know where the library is. Uh, And so you go to the library. I couldn't tell you where the one is near me. But perhaps that's where you spend all your time. And those are your mission fields. Where you spend your time is your mission field. Wherever you spend a good amount of time, that is where God is telling you to go. That is where you are sent. I play on a men's hockey team and a men's baseball team. uh, And I spend a good amount of time at the hockey arena or at the baseball field. And those are my mission fields. That is where I am sent. Uh, I, I hear people pray sometimes, especially at uh, Bible colleges, but I hear people praying, uh, begging God to, be, uh, to, to tell them where to go to be a missionary, saying, oh, I just, I just wish God would send me somewhere. Like, wherever you call me, Lord, I'll go. Uh, and then they complain when they can't raise the funds to buy a plane ticket or to go overseas, and the entire time forgetting that they could be a missionary in the place that they work right now. See, you're uniquely suited to be a missionary, uh, to live your life on mission, to live a sent life in the place that God has put you right now. Perhaps it's with your family. Perhaps you spend a lot of time with your family at the cottage or at their house or at your house, uh, and perhaps that's your mission field. Perhaps you're retired and and you've recently moved into a retirement home. That is a mission field. Perhaps you love going to the drop-in center, the community center. That's your mission field. Perhaps it's a school, or a farm, or a factory, or your job at the bank or the insurance office. It doesn't matter where it is. If it's a place that you spend a decent amount of time, or any time, really, then it's a good chance that God has put you there so you can be a missionary in that place. Now, some people may say, yes, but Lucas, I cannot mix my job and religion. Uh... And I'm gonna say this is harsh, but you're wrong. That's exactly what you're supposed to do. You may say, Luke, I'm gonna get fired if I talk to other teachers about Jesus. Uh, Potentially that could happen. I'm gonna say it's 2019 and we're terrified to fire anyone ever, anywhere. So it's unlikely you're gonna get fired. But perhaps you may get fired if you start talking about Jesus or sharing your faith uh, where you live perhaps someone where where you play hockey or baseball or where you leisure activity or the cottage perhaps you might lose some friends there if you start talking to them about Jesus or perhaps your friends may think you're less cool if you start talking about Jesus and those are all possibilities absolutely those could happen but right now while you're thinking that there are Christians around the world who wake up today knowing that if they get caught telling someone anyone about Jesus they'll literally be killed but not for a second does that stop a single one of them? I had a friend when I was at Emmanuel Bible College who grew up in Pakistan. And was telling me one day what it was like to be a Christian there. Uh, and she was telling me about how she used to have to write uh, messages on uh, printer paper, like receipt paper. Like you when you buy your receipts. If you ever notice, you find a receipt that's uh, like a year old. Nothing is on it. It's all just evaporated. She said, I used to have to write my messages to my friend about Jesus on that in case they got found. They wouldn't know who had written it. She, after a couple of years, led her friend, uh, who was a Muslim, to faith, and her friend wanted to be baptized. And they realized that they would be killed if they were caught baptizing her. Uh, so her family said, "Well, that's fine. Get in the car. We're going to the river." So they drove for an hour to the river, saying, "We don't care. This is what we were called to do. We are called to live on mission. You're called to live your life on mission in the place where you are right now." And if you're saying, well Luke, the only places I go are Christian places, um, and the only people I know are Christians, then I'm going to tell you to branch out. Go find a darts team somewhere, or go find your local pool hall and learn to play pool, or, or shuffleboard, or pickleball, uh, or go find the local pub and go eat your breakfasts there. Uh, just be present in a place. Be present and be known in a place. That's it. Well, so if you know the what, then we need to know the who. Uh, So if you have a place, you need the people. And I hope you're following because this is an easy one to answer. Uh, If God is calling you to a particular place right now, which is the place that you are, then I almost guarantee it's the people that are there that He's calling you to. It seems simple, uh, but that's only because it is simple. I'm going to tell you a story. Uh, I I play slow pitch, especially in the summers. Uh, It's fun. It gets me outside. Uh, I can pretend that I'm burning calories or being active. Uh, But the main reason that I play slow pitch uh, is because I like the people. I like having friends with other guys and joshing around and playing sports with them. I like pretending that this sport is serious and matters when it's just for fun. Uh, And if you ever want to find some of the most hurting and broken hopeless men out there, Go get plugged into a local slow-pitch league. Go get plugged into your local beer league slow-pitch team, and you will find some of the most broken people you'll ever met. I play with guys that are addicted to drugs. I play with guys addicted to alcohol. I play with some guys that will openly discuss their flippant sexual lives and how they cheat on their wives. I will play with guys that happily discuss how they watch pornography. Uh, I play with guys that can't hold on down a job no matter what they try and I play with a lot of guys that cannot stand church or any organized religion at all and I'll tell you that every single one of those guys all calls me the pastor all of them make jokes about how I only have to work on Sundays Uh, they all make jokes about what it is that a pastor does all the time and uh, these guys don't for a second pretend to be anything other than they're not They're Aggressive and inappropriate, and just downright ridiculous sometimes. Yet they all know and respect that I'm a pastor. Never once have I preached to these people. I don't show up on on, on games on Saturday nights and say, "Oh, before we play, oh, let's get other around in a circle. And we'll hold hands." Uh, although they joke that they always want to ask me to do that when we're losing. Never once when they're talking about their, you know, their, their lives or, or they're, they're at the bar or how you know, their drug abuse is going, never once do I chastise them and judge them for their sin and tell them how awful they are as people. Never once have I forced my ideas and my theology down their throats. But three weeks ago, I got a phone call, actually a text from a friend saying, dude, can you call me? I need to talk to you. Uh, and I'll, I'll call him Jay uh, because that's his name. And... Uh, I haven't seen Jay since last summer. Uh, I played with Jay a little bit last summer. I knew who he was two years ago, but last summer was the first time I ever played with Jay. We played on two teams together. Uh, We played once a week during the week and every other weekend. Uh, We shared a few rides together because we lived kind of close. We chatted a bunch. Uh, We became pretty good friends. Uh, Not best friends, but I became friends with Jay. But I didn't see Jay all fall. But I didn't see him all winter. We didn't really even text or anything. Uh, he sent me a congratulations on our wedding day. And uh, so I haven't had contact with him in months. And so I was curious why he's texting me. And so I called. And he picked up the phone and he said, Luke, man, uh, my life is a mess. It's falling apart. I've lost everything. I've lost my house. I've lost my job, my wife. I can't see my kids. I've been addicted to alcohol for months now and I've hit rock bottom and I don't know what to do. And he continued on and he kept talking to me and he said, And I don't know why, Luke, but I woke up this morning and I just felt something or someone was saying, You need to call Luke. And he said, It hit me that I needed to call you because I know you're a pastor and I just need someone to talk to. And we talked for hours. I was driving the first time he called and so I parked on the side of the road and we talked for hours. We shared multiple phone conversations over the next week. The reason Jay called me was not because I tried to force my theology down his throat. The reason he called me is because we played baseball together. He knew I was a pastor, and he knew that I loved him no matter his horrible life choices. He knew that I was a Christian, and he also knew that never once did I judge him or make him feel like he was less than me. I never condemned him or looked down upon him. He felt accepted exactly how he was, and he knew that I would call him friend no matter what life choices he made. And now when he hit rock bottom, he reached out to someone who he felt genuinely cared. We talked, uh, we prayed, and Jay has been praying every single night since our first conversation on his own. Uh, Last night as I was sitting and I was preparing, uh, I I was writing this, or or Friday night, night. I just said, I need to touch base with Jay, I haven't talked to him in a few days. And so I texted him, I said, hey, Jay, how's things going, man? How's your last, you know, couple days been? We haven't chatted. And he said, Luke, I'm so excited. I just left court, uh, and I'm allowed to go home to see my wife. I'm allowed to see my kids again. I've been in AA for the last week, uh, and uh, I have a job for me coming out once I'm done my AA. And all of this came about because I play slow pitch on Wednesday night, and because that team knows me as the pastor and I'm down to share a beer with them sometimes after the game. Those are the people that I'm called to. In the place where you are called, in the place where you spend your time, those are the people that you are sent to right now. The ones you work with, the ones you play with, the ones you leisure and cottage with, those are the people that Jesus is calling you and sending you to go. We don't have to shove the gospel down their throats. We don't have to force Jesus into every single conversation that we have. We just have to be a people that genuinely love others. We have to be a people that genuinely want to serve people. We want to, have a, we want to be a people that genuinely just want to be their friends, to care for them. I didn't do a lot in this situation with Jay. I just saw that my place on the baseball team was to be the pastor guy and to live my life on mission. And God did all the rest. Because people aren't stupid, are they? they? They're not stupid. They know when we have a hidden agenda. When we're just friends with them because we want to try to convince them to come to church, they sense that. They know it. When we try to serve them in a way that's sneaky because we expect something back, they know that. They see right through it. They know when we're not being honest with our intentions. So just be sent. Be sent to the people that you have in your lives right now. For some of your friends and your family, it may take years of you being sent to them. For some, it may take months, but just be genuine, be loving, be kind, be caring for those people, and be praying for those people that God has already placed in your life today. And what does this mean practically? How do we do do it then? Uh, Does this mean that we should all go out and head to the Christian bookstore and buy up all the bumper stickers that they have and put them on the back of our, uh, our vans like this? Um... Does that mean we should buy all the great Christian sayings that we can and whenever we see a Christian t-shirt we should buy that and exclusively wear Christian t-shirts with Christian sayings on them all the time? Should we be the kind of people that only listen to Christian music 100% of the time and if we're giving someone a ride, force them to listen to our favorite Christian songs? Um, Should we be the kind of Christian that only ever watches Christian movies, never anything secular no matter what? Um, Because anything secular is in the world and we would never go there? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. John 17, 15, three verses before what I'm talking about when it says, I'm sent and so you're sent too. Jesus says, I don't ask you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to keep them from the evil one. See, he's not saying to run away from the world. He's not saying to hide from anything non-Christian because anything non-Christian is horrible. He's not saying don't go to Blue Jays games because they serve beer there. He's not saying you better not see that new Marvel Avengers movie because there's a killing in that. He's not saying on Saturday nights you can't go play hockey because everyone you play with is not a Christian. Rather, he's saying he wants you to do all those things. He wants you to be in the world. We have to be in the world. How do we reach the people if we're outside of the world and they're all over here? What Jesus is saying here is I want you to be in the world, but I'm going to pray that God would keep you from the evil one while you're there. In my third year at Emmanuel Bible College, I remember sitting with someone in the lounge uh, and I was talking about how cool it was that Obama uh, was re-elected. I was like, wow, this is pretty cool, like, America is a pretty cool place right now. And I talked about how intense the election was and, and how, how fierce things got. And I remember a young first-year student turning and saying, what do you mean? What happened? She had no idea that an election was happening in the States. Now. We all know that when America has an election, the rest of the world is somehow involved. We all know what's going on in America all the time. She had never ventured off campus in her entire first semester. But not only has she never left campus, and if you've been to Emmanuel Bible College, you know the campus is smaller than the plot of land we have here at Avenue Road. She'd never ventured off campus, ever once. And not only that, she decided that she was going to cut out Facebook. Because uh, Facebook had things that were worldly on it. She couldn't be a part of that. And she also said that I'm not going to watch TV because there could be non-Christian things on there. She pulled herself out of the world. And Jesus is saying the exact opposite. He's saying you need to be in the world. You're not of the world, but that's where the people are. And you have to be there if you want to reach them. I've often found as Christians we're so absolutely afraid of anything that could be considered worldly so we run from everything uh, I know lots of Christians who will never use Instagram or Facebook because there are things on on those sites that they say "Oh, I don't wanna see that that would be inappropriate I, I couldn't see those well, that's like saying I won't read books because some people write books with sex in them so I'll never read a book it's ludicrous it's like saying I'm not gonna swim in your pool because uh, there are sharks in the ocean so I don't wanna be a part of water it's ridiculous the Lord is saying you have to be in the world to reach the people that are there. <laughs> to reach people, we have to be among them, and there's no way to get around it. And Jesus recognized that that means we will be behind enemy lines. We will be confronted with hard things. We will be confronted with risks and temptations associated with being behind enemy lines. And that's why Jesus prays for us, saying I, you have to be there, but I'm going to pray that the evil one won't touch you. And why does it matter then? Why is this important? Why should we live lives on mission? Because this is the primary means that the gospel is sent. The idea of living on mission is what led to the early church having so many disciples so quickly. Everyone in the early church believed that they were supposed to live their lives as a missionary 100% of the time. And so they lived their lives in whatever they did with whoever they saw on mission. And the church exploded because of that. Michael Green says it well in his book, Evangelism in the Early Church. He says, early Christianity's explosive growth was in reality a feat accomplished by a means of lots and lots of informal missionaries. Timothy Keller says a similar thing in Center Church. He says, not only the apostles, but every single Christian, every single one, did evangelism. They did so endlessly. Endlessly. Numerous passages indicate that every single Christian was expected to evangelize, expected to follow up, expected to nurture, expected to teach people the word. And this happened through relationships. One person bringing the gospel to another person in the context of a relationship. Jesus says he was sent, and like that, we are also sent The words are super, super clear here. He is not talking about the apostles. He's not just talking about the followers. He's talking about everyone. He's talking about you and he's talking about I. Part of the decline in the church today in 2019 is because Christians in churches and Sunday mornings think that it's the pastor's job to bring new people to church. And I've been in job interviews where people say, we want you to bring the kids or we want you to bring the new people. You go out and you get them. And sure, just add that to the massive list of things that pastors already do. Uh, Bring all the new people. Put that on a bullet point. But the reality is is that your pastors are one or two people in a church. There is a 0% chance that your church will be an impactful church if you think it's up to the pastors to do all the witnessing and all the missions. I don't know your friends. I don't know the places that you go from Monday to Saturday. Just like you don't know my friends. You don't know the places that I go. But what if you and I saw every single day as a mission? What if we lived like that? What if all 120 of us lived each and every day as a sent people? What if everywhere we went we saw as a mission field? And every single person we encountered we saw as someone that God was calling us to love and to serve and to care for? even if they never come to church. Wouldn't that be the kind of thing that would change the world if we lived like that? And that's exactly what God is calling us to do. We're called to be sent. We're called to be people that genuinely love and serve, to care for the widow, to visit the jailed, to love the unlovable, to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, comfort the mourning, And we're called to do it genuinely, without any sneaky motives behind it. We are called to do it just because Jesus loved us, because he asked us to do that for others. See, missions isn't a thing, then. We can say that. Missions is not a thing. Missions isn't something that we simply do. Missions isn't a committee that does all the work. Missions is a way of living. Mission is a way that we are called to live every single day. We are called to live on mission, to be sent. If we want this family at Avenue Road to not just exist, but to prosper, to grow, to really have an impact in the community, then we must all see ourselves as missionaries. We have to look at ourselves and see our lives as mission fields. We have to see the people we interact at as the people that God is calling us to love. We have to see ourselves as sent into the world, sent on a mission, and sent to a people. If we don't see ourselves as missionaries, as we don't see our lives as being lived on mission, uh, if we don't see ourselves as a sent people, then we have to ask ourselves the hard question, am I a missionary or am I an imposter? Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you make it so clear, Lord, that we are to be a sent people and we are to live our lives on mission 100% of the time. God, thank you that it means To be a Christian is to be a missionary. And Lord, thank you that there is so many places and so many people for us to go. Lord, convict each one of our hearts right now. Show us the people and the places that you are calling us to in our day-to-day lives and give us the courage and the ability to love and speak to them, to care for them, to pray for them. Let us be a mission church, Father one that reaches out and exists to reach people, not just to continue to exist within these walls on a Sunday morning. But teach us to be a missionary people. In Jesus' name, amen.